Um, how is it like this, dude? It's like it's like drinking a Christmas tree. It's like magical Christmas <laughs> mode. So fucking yeah, good. Nice. Oh, like, remember yeah. that, uh, that cider we had? We went to that cider place, and it was like the gingerbread cider. Where it yes. Like yes. Yeah, yep. Thing. Yeah, yeah. Far from the tree, or but the mm-hmm. apple from the tree. Yeah, far from the tree. So, mm-hmm. all right. <clears throat> Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Dylan and Joe Basement Podcasts, where your host, Dylan. I'm Joe. And Joe. And uh, today we're going to go to a, a place not many have gone to, and very few pe- very few of them even live there. Ooh, I'm getting chilly, there. Dylan. Are you getting chilly? You're getting chilly, getting... Joe? Why are you, you getting chilly? Why are you get... getting cold this time of year? Ugh. Yeah. Why are you getting so chilly this time of year? What are we going to talk about? I think we're going to talk about some snow and some ice and some frozen tundra. Yeah, we're going to talk about Antarctica. (laughs) Antarctica, the place where 4,000 people live annually, mostly scientists. And in the winter, only 1,000 of them live there. (laughs) Yes. And none of them are permanent residents. They're they're all there for scientific purposes for the most part, yeah. Or their support to help those people out. But yeah, this is an insane place. It may be one of the wildest places on the entire planet. I mean, it's its own continent. So. Uh, it's where the South Pole is, and it's just the most unforgiving land you could possibly think of. So we want to talk about Antarctica today, why it's so interesting, why it's so crazy, and we want to talk about the crazy motherfuckers who decided, I'm going there. I'm going to go there, and no one's there. I'm just going to head out. I mean, these people were absolute madmen. <clears throat> I'm glad that absolute madmen and we're talking about a place that is one and a half just that you don't really I, I personally never gave too much thought to antarctica because there's nothing there there's penguins and they have santa up there it's not even a continent it's just ice but antarctica yeah. it's the seventh continent it's larger than the continent of australia and that's its own continent we don't even think about it it's one and a half times the size of the continental u.s so think that's about going from end to end it's a four-hour flight that's a big distance yeah, it's like going all, obviously across, almost across the whole United States. It's just it's a huge yeah, place. It's crazy. It's just it's such a crazy. Waste. No, no one's there. It's a wall, or which you we didn't mention in our intro, or has there been people there the whole time? We'll get there later, but it's but besides the interesting facts of maybe some conspiracies and speculation and weird thoughts and ideas, um, there yeah, we're, are we're there. We go there every time. <laughs> I we actually when we when we. Well, that's what we're here for. We're here to teach you some shit that hopefully you didn't know. We don't, we're not experts on it all and bring up all of the wacky conspiracies that are associated with them. And we're going to absolutely talk all about that shit. We're going to go there and I just made it clear, but we're definitely not the experts, but we do put in several hours, if not 
days and hours combined of research into these from what's on the internet, what's on YouTube, books, Reddit, you name it. Wherever we can find information about stuff or something that has our interest, we uh, we we bring it in. And History Channel, TV too. A lot of History Channel documentaries I get my information from, which (laughs) doesn't make me an expert. That's for sure. So, So, Joe, so besides the fact that <laughs> besides the fact that 11 people have been born on Antarctica, 11 total that we know of. Mm-hmm. That's a lot too many for my asking. That's ridiculous. You don't want to be born there. Yep. It's awful. Yep. Besides the, uh, besides the entire, besides the entire Fourth Reich civilization that's lived there since the 30s. I don't know how many people were born in that one, but right. Okay, besides, besides them. Yeah. Right, yeah. Okay, that aside, obviously that. Yeah, that obviously, that's aside. Eleven altogether. Eleven non-actual. Well, they don't have an NBC there or anything. Like you said, it's all research sites. I think they said there's about seventy different um, research sites on Antarctica, and some of them are yeah. massive. They have they hold up to three hundred people. Some of them are just for small teams, but. There's a lot of people mm-hmm. there relatively to how insane the place is. I mean, it's obviously an understatement to say it's the coldest place on earth. It's literally as far as you can get from the equator and still be on planet earth. You're there and it's its own continent. So the coldest recorded temperature in human history was taken on Antarctica. And that was all the way at negative 89 degrees celsius which is also known as a hundred negative 128 degrees fahrenheit that's cool this year they broke the the hottest recording in uh human history and that was in death valley california it was 128 degrees so this is the complete opposite of that negative 128 which just seems oppressive and on average it doesn't get much higher than negative 20 degrees fahrenheit year round even when they, it's, it's uh, more mild in the summer, if you get far away from the center, so you're getting closer to the equator, no matter where you're going, it gets almost livable as if you were in the dead of winter anywhere else. That's what, that's about as nice as it gets. And uh, it's also the driest place in the world because moisture is not allowed to condense so easily in the atmosphere like it is in the tropical regions mm. where you have 100% humidity and it's just moisture everywhere. You got rain every day. It's just so dry that ice, ice cold air, we all know in the wintertime, it gets drier. People get nosebleeds and their runny noses more. You get the heat going. It's just a dry environment. And there, it's no joke to say that it really is a frozen desert. Even though there's tons of ice, it's never going to be liquid ice. And it's just <clears throat> difficult to get through. It specifically is three miles thick of ice um, on, That's it sounds crazy. like, on average. But the other thing is, it wasn't always all ice. And there's a lot. Three miles thick, yeah. There's, but, but under there, there are dinosaur bones. There is uh, vegetation fossils uh, and stuff like that. So this didn't always used to be ice. And it might not have also always been at the South Pole. It might have been. 30 million years ago, there was no ice on the, the Antarctic continent. So that's something to think about here because we see it as this, this bastion of frozen world. But you don't have to go that far back relatively. We've talked about as far back as, you know, hundreds of millions of years ago. We're only talking about 30 million years ago. It didn't look like anything like it did now. It looked a lot like the world we see now. It wasn't much different than most other continents. Uh, and we have record the, the climate. Obviously. And we have record that it was attached to 
South America and Australia. And then at one point um, broke apart off there because mm -hmm. it's Quite floating it's just like every other yeah. continent. It, yeah, exactly. And um, it may have been more recent than, than we know. We don't really know. We do know, but we don't know. As of right now, I think that the, the, the closest guess is that, that it broke off about a billion years ago, right? <laughs> or is it less than that? Someone said, someone, someone, no, someone, else, someone uh, said, no, I'm not kidding. It takes a long time for continents to move along. Well, somebody, somebody said that it could have taken weeks and it might have happened somewhere around 4,000 years ago. Okay, it certainly did not take weeks. It was almost <laughs> certainly a, a beyond 4,000 years ago, but maybe look, it was only. Look. He's the expert. I'm not, okay? Million? Maybe. Well, I don't think he is either, but we'll get him to it. All right, so, so we want to talk about not just what Antarctica is and because of how wild of an environment it is, but like I said, the people who are going to explore there. I just wanted to go over what kind of life exists on there because so part of the beauty of oh, yeah. the planet Earth is that the biodiversity is all over the planet. No matter where you go, whether it's in underwater vents that are piping out the Earth's internal magma, it's just toxic steam coming out. There's microorganisms living in the middle of that. You better believe there's organisms living in Antarctica as well, even though it's totally unforgiving for us. Never mind the usual idea that you're going to get penguins down there, right? They have multiple different kinds of penguins, four different kinds of seals, we'll call Antarctica their home, as well as pods and pods of not only humpback whales, killer whales go there, or orcas, as well as the blue whale, which is the largest animal to ever have existed on planet Earth, as far as we know, which always weirds me out the idea that all these dinosaurs and mega fish and all these crazy like the megalodon shark it seems like there used to be bigger beasts than ever and on average there did used to be back when dinosaurs ruled the earth there was much larger creatures even dragonflies <clears throat> were enormous but joe right now the blue whale is the the animal we have is the largest animal that ever exists in the world it's crazy and they joe did you know there. did you know that the blue whale is so big that if you laid it lengthwise, what was that? I said, how big is it? Oh yeah, it's so big that if you lay it lengthwise across the basketball court, the game would be canceled. That's how big it is. Oh, that's big. That's a, that's a good indicator. It's hard to visualize how big it yeah. really is when you're away. So yeah, yep. I'll that. Yeah, that big. So, yeah, besides that, there's a little uh, different organisms because you know, as they say in Jurassic Park, life finds a way and there's all kinds of insects and small mosquito type creatures that can survive that intense uh, environment just through adaptation. As in the way of plants, there isn't a tree on the entire continent of Antarctica right now, as far as we know. It's all lichens, mosses, and very small plants because any larger than that, you need a, a, an enormous amount of moisture and you need you know, enough sunlight to be able to grow properly. And we'll get into this, but not only is it dark for half of the year in Antarctica, for two months, there's no sunlight whatsoever. That's very hard to grow plants in that and even harder to survive if you're a human being out in that. So I think it's just crazy. But nevertheless, like we said last week, when we're talking about pushing to the next level, talking about SpaceX launching up satellites and looking into the future and all these things. It's a innate human idea that, that curiosity that willingness to explore and push forward not all of us have it as much as the next person but we all have it somewhere in us and a couple of people we want to talk about today had that in spades because they not only said i'm going to be journeying 
to a place where no one's successfully journeyed before, but I'm almost surely going to die. And we'll find plenty of examples of that, just that happening, because it ain't no cakewalk. And some of them did die. Absolutely. Many. But more importantly, some of them didn't. And some of those stories are some of the most... One particular alert, and we're going to discuss it later, but is one of the most magnificent stories I've ever heard um, regarding survival and in a, in a place that is the most unforgiving place on earth. And I mean, if you go in the woods near your house, it's really unforgiving. Spend a night with nothing. It's scary, but this is like whole other level of nature being it's absolute, doesn't care about humans. Just You're completely at the mercy of your environment, even more than you would be in the wilderness. <clears throat> yeah. America. Yeah, and you have to to survive, you have to eat each other. This is that type of place. It's that type of place. There's nothing else around. That's all you got. You know, yeah. the dog party had it bad. At least they were in the Rockies. They weren't in an entire continent of ice for three miles. Yeah, you can eat you can eat a snake. In this case, Joe would have to eat my leg and I'd have to eat his hair or something. I mean, or then eventually oh, kill no, each other. I'm my laptop right now. It's <laughs> Yeah, no way I'd make it. You wouldn't get a lot of calories out of me though, so it might be worth uh, using me as like firewood or something if that's the case. Get some warmth out in there. But yeah, we could talk about how long you just would last on a on a skewer, but I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I think that you hit the nail on the head there when you said that some of them survived, which is an interesting way of putting it because it's not the fact that it's amazing that some people died. It's really amazing that any of them survived to tell the tale, especially you know, going further and further back in history, that they just had almost no technology to be able to handle this. And they just were going out into the unknown and just had to make do, uh, which includes um, this place, as well as the North Pole, that these two parts of the planet Earth, they're called that, not because there's a big red and white pole that Santa Claus lives at, which mm. is still true. Don't worry. That's true. But it's not why it's called that. Uh, it's because they're the two magnetic poles of the sphere that is the Earth and the magnetic field closes up at the two ends it's where it's the strongest much like an unmagnet and even though they're relatively in the same area in the same parts of the earth like we talked about in recent episodes they do shift slightly and especially back when you're sailing on ships there's no gps there's not even a fish finder on the ship you're going a lot by navigation looking at the stars which get more difficult to read when you come to a part of earth that no one's been to before and can't chart even though it's the same constellations and looking at your compass, which is going to be immediately useless once you get close to the magnetic pole and start spinning like you're in the twilight zone. So they had to account for that. And I would hate to have been the first guy to find that out because that person almost certainly um, had a really rough time getting back to tell someone about it. Just another, another thing to throw on the make it hard to get there catalog that we got going for. All right, so as far as the exploration, of the Arctic, there's a couple people that are notable. Uh, basically, the idea of exploring the poles of the Earth is like what we said before. It's the idea of being, you know, a human and being curious. But curiosity only gets you so far because you want to get anything done, you just ask any of the explorers that you know. You got to get the dough. You got to get sponsorship. You got to get money because it's going to cost you a ton of money to take a ship somewhere where no one's ever gone before with the hope of making it back alive with all the information you found. And not only is all the scientific information important when you're visiting the polar ice caps or in particular Antarctica, which we're gonna talk about, 
there's money in it, baby. And I'm talking about the Northwest Passage. <laughs> the Northwest Passage is in the North Pole, which is the Arctic, not to be confused with the Antarctic, named by the North and South Pole. That is the first time that humans decide to brave the icy parts of the globe, whether you're North or South, it's just as icy. And people were taking shifts to try to find a better trading route to Asia rather than having to go all the way around Russia one way or around Africa the other. They're trying to think, well, we can, we, can we kind of just cut around and go through the Northwest Passage. We'll end up on the other side. That'll be that. And many sailors' lives were lost to that idea. But that's how a lot of people cut their teeth when it came to exploring in the Arctic and the Antarctic. Because if you don't know how to navigate a ship through ice and through awful weather, you have no business going there. Plenty of people are traveling back and forth between uh, the, the Cape of Good Hope and all over Europe. You're not a sailor unless you can sail in the Arctic, and a lot of people could. One of those people who ended up being a major explorer was Roald Amundsen. Now, Roald Amundsen is famous to be one of the uh, major explorers when we talk about the Antarctic. He was born in the Kingdom of Sweden and Norway, which was combined at the time. And for a lot of times in the 18th century into the 19th century, they were one country. They had one king. It was the King of Sweden. And that was what he was born into. Uh, his idols growing up were all different explorers. You would hear stories from uh, sea captains about explorers checking all over the world because his family actually owned a shipping company um, out of Oslo, Norway. So they were able to be in, interacting with ships that were going all over the world all the time. As a kid, he thought that was great. It was the greatest story ever. He wants to be one of those people finding new pathways and exploring all over the planet. Um, unfortunately, his mother, like any good mother, said, you're not doing that. You're going to be a doctor. So he decided to go to school to be a doctor, but you know, like any great story, he always wanted his dream to be an explorer. So he went for a while. He wasn't a fantastic doctor at, at school. He never became a full-fledged doctor and he started trying to pursue the path of the sea. And like anyone trying to master a task, he couldn't, he knew he couldn't walk onto a ship one day and say, I command you to take me to the, the polar ice caps and I'm going to be an explorer. You have to learn how to be a sailor. You have to learn how to be one of the best sailors in the world. So he starts taking jobs as a sailor for different ships around the world and just learning the ropes, both literally and figuratively and understanding how to be a sailor before he goes on his fateful voyage that I believe makes him into the man that he becomes in history. Uh, so he ends up on a ship called the Belgica, which is the region that we now know as Belgium was, was called that. So it's mm -hmm. named after Belgium. Um, and it was the first Antarctic mission he'd ever been on. It wasn't the first mission that anyone tried. There have been multiple attempts in the future by uh, France and uh, other countries that they made it to a, a far enough that they could notice that there was land there that would chart it for maps, but there was no record of anyone actually making it as far south as you could until you hit the South Pole, which is the bottom of the planet. No one had made it that far if they made it to the coast at all. This ship was going to make it to Antarctica and try to be a cartographer, try to map out more of the continent to understand more of what it was. No one had ever circumnavigated, so they didn't know how big it was. They were just coming at different parts of the planet down. <clears throat> he was on that ship. He wasn't the captain of the ship, but he was one of the uh, crewmates on board. When they arrived there, it wasn't soon after that their ship was stuck in an ice pack. And this is one of the craziest things about traversing in, in Antarctica. There is so much ice around the continent itself, and it's so massive and shifting all the time it's not difficult for a ship to get stuck in there. And once you get stuck in an ice pack and it freezes up, 
you can take all the manpower you want to start pushing that ship is not going anywhere until it thaws out and you can put it back on the open ocean unfortunately for them that didn't happen for 13 months so how we mentioned earlier that it's near impossible to survive there and there's only a thousand people who actually live there year round now and that's with modern technology these crew were stuck there for 13 months which technically made them the first people to ever live in antarctica in the winter no one had ever done it anyone who was ever there were, had the sense to not show up in the winter time because they knew it was going to be dark as hell and colder than cold which it already is but by some miracle some of these guys survived for 13 months that includes multiple people getting severe cases of scurvy because they ran out of rations and you start having to make some odd decisions about where you're going to get your nutrition from as well as people going absolutely insane which i could imagine when you're trapped on an ice desert in total darkness for two months straight that's enough to make anyone go crazy the real miracle of the story is that anyone made it back at all and enough people made it back that it was considered a success people thought they were dead and they came back with enough information still they said it's a successful mission good job y'all survived i mean i couldn't believe that someone could go through that experience like rolled a munson did and say ah i can't wait to go back there that'll be great when i go back with my own ship the guy is an absolute maniac but you know something to be desired for sure the years later after more time training on ships munson finally gets enough money together uh, by also speaking to one of his idols another norwegian explorer sponsors them and hooks him up with other uh people that give him enough capital to start his own voyage. It's his first voyage as a ship captain. And what he wants to take on is the Northwest Passage, which is that Northern route that easily cuts to make a new trade route. And no one's actually mapped out the whole thing. It's all wonky. He decides to go on the trip and he's gonna take only six people on his boat. Now the last voyage that went to the Northwest Passage took 120 people and it failed and barely any of them made it back. They couldn't make it with 120 people. Munson says, I'm taking six and I'm taking a smaller boat. So your problem is you got too many people. You only have to take as many people as you need to make it there and back. You get too many people, too big a boat. I'm gonna take a small ship. <laughs> Some of these guys I recently learned had a sex doll that they would that was named well, they're not like one guy, but it was like the whole, this is what they were called. It was like Madame de Voyage. Like the Madame the, of the Voyage. The, the Madame of the, of the Voyage. Exactly. And these guys, they'd be on the ocean for years and they would just have like basically a, like a broom dressed up as a girl. <laughs> it made me think of that. Was, that's fucking so funny. Man, these poor bastards. When I'm busy thinking about how cold it is and how hungry I'd be, I forgot about the other basic the other, The other human, yeah, exactly. They were there. Can you imagine seeing a broom and you're like, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. hell yeah. Yep. Okay. I'll be back once I uh once I go up to the uh <laughs> the bell tower and do my job. I'll be right back for that broom. Oh yeah. They got a sign up sheet next to the uh, janitor's closet. <laughs> <laughs> it's mine. I thought I had broom hilda from nine to ten. I had exactly broom hilda. Like that type of thing, like a iPod, you know, it has called an iPod. This is the same thing. <laughs> the Madame Just... de Voyage. Madame de Voyage. <laughs> <laughs> uh... I, uh... <laughs> uh, 
Oh man, yeah. Guys, we're just here having fun. We're just gonna we're just trying to have some fun, all right? You know, just... it's a, I mean, it's a tough. It's tough. We like to there. have fun here, but it's it is tough out there. We're not giving these guys enough credit, you know. Like you got, you got suffer, you know. Uh, having a Madame de Voyage to get you through the night. I mean, whatever. That, that's the least of your problem. I mean, someone's gonna keep you warm at night. It's it's just your your shipmates because. I mean, you had to huddle together tight and become good friends when you're freezing quite literally to death. Yeah, so. and you and sometimes they, be, I'm sure they became really good friends. Ah, um, uh, yeah. But for those who don't, they would have a Madame de Voyage, and sure. Um, can you imagine, like, so some of these guys, and we'll get into the stories, but like, they had to ditch their ship in in Antarctica and go on smaller yeah. ships. But can you imagine if that they don't say that the Madame de Voyages were brought with them once they abandoned, scuttled the ship? I think it's understood that when you, when you scuttle the Maybe. ship, you take, you take the necessary supplies. You take food, you take blankets, and you take the Madame de Voyages. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, just yeah, yo, wait, dude, you tell me you didn't bring the Madame de Voyages. Like, no man, you... woman. Oh my God, what are we going to do? What? <laughs> Carry on. So, um, so there's there was only six guys on this ship, so it would have been pretty easy to share a Madame de Voyage with just the six. Easy. Versus the 120, I think you have to have a couple rooms with you when you're swabbing the decks. Hey, you're swabbing yeah. too hard. One too many swabs. I, I know what you're doing there. Mm -hmm. Swab, actually swab it. Don't just hang out with <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Get out of there. <laughs> I'm swabbing the deck, Captain. You've been swabbing the deck for well too long. It's clean. All right. Now get back to your crow's nest. Yep. I see what you're doing. Putting your lips on the broom. Life's tough, man. Being a guy. It's rough. It's rough out there. Tough for everybody. Especially if you're six people going to the Northwest Passage. They go on a boat. It's pretty small. It's a ship, but it's pretty small. Like I said, it only takes six people to crew it, which means it takes you know, five or, or less because you can't have six men on, on the, the deck at all times. Always, you got to sleep, you got to eat. Mm -hmm. So six men, it's his first captaining journey. And he, he decides to take one of the toughest journeys that, that known, which is a pretty ballsy move. I don't know how he convinced the guys to go with him, but he did. I think people just were, had a lot less to, uh, to worry about then. It's like, what are you doing for the next two years, three years? Well, I don't know. I was going to basically try to farm beets, but been a pretty rough winter. Okay, you want to go on a ship with me for like two, three years, freeze our balls off, and you know, whatever else? Go. Why not? It could be, it could be glorious. They didn't have a lot to lose, I don't think. But it's 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 fun. It's a venture. You can yeah, it makes, it makes do it something better. unknown in a society that is like full of even then was full of shit that everyone knew. You know, nothing really new going on besides plagues and shit. So true. Yeah, you just gotta like keep get out there. Up. Yeah, get out there, so, see something new. The journey ends up, they thought there was going to be a, 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 around a year. They're uh, hoping to get there and back. And it took him around two years, which is a whole year more than you expected, which is kind of weird. Because you say, well, how do you pack for two years and you only have a year trip? If one of those cruise liners went to Aruba and they forgot to pack half the food, it'd be pretty fucked up. And, uh, you know, beyond just all the diseases that's going on there, you'd be pretty screwed. So what happened for part of their trip, is they actually ended up stopping at a village that was not too far into their journey that had um, First Nation or Inuit tribe people there. And they lived in this village and for a while, for a good amount of weeks, the six-man crew worked there, lived with them. Um, and these people taught them a lot about how to survive in, in the Arctic, which they'll soon be able to take those skills and transfer them over to the Antarctic because 
these people have been living there for generations and they know what to do. They know what animals to kill, how to find them, what to eat, what to wear. And they end up teaching these guys all these invaluable things because a lot of people who are around the world never had this kind of experience because they never met people who lived in those environments and they weren't familiar with how to deal with it. They were just out there with their, you know, wool coats pulled over their little wool caps and hopefully a big scarf and they're bundled up for the whole journey there and they just didn't have it figured out these people are fucking white asses out there just thinking they've got it figured out because this is what they wear in england when it's you know yeah norway no yeah yeah norway sorry yeah yeah different game boys no but yeah same same thing it was just this big coat big coat so they teach them how to wear animal skins as coats which makes it a lot easier to survive especially when you're killing these animals that have all these thick coats that are made to survive in these extreme environments and they also start to go on a very rich meat rich diet so almost strictly meat and a lot of animals as well as people who subsist on the ice caps uh, they eat a mostly meat diet and their bodies are already adapted that way over generations such as people who live um, natively in those places they have their dietary needs are different than people who live in breadbasket areas they don't need to take in as much of certain nutrients as others they can subsist more easily on meat alone than we can just biologically and that's also a good way to stave off things like scurvy which happened mm -hmm. earlier because meat has a lot of vitamins in it even though it's not as good as sucking on a lemon it sure bees eating stale bread for a week you're going to get scurvy and then they would take those skills and move them on later. So after the two years, they make their journey back and they give one of the best descriptions of a pathway in the Northwest Territories, which is a big deal. And it gives him a lot of credit going forward because even though it took longer than he thought it would, it's still a successful mission. He knows a lot more about how to traverse uh, places like that. After that, a couple of years of him, you know, trying to raise the money to go on another journey. And this is the journey that uh, closes out my tale of Ronald Munson and makes him a major explorer. He decides he wants to go back to Antarctica, this time as a captain. And this time, he's going all the way to the South Pole, honey. He's making it to the <laughs> tippity bottom of the planet Earth. And no man has ever done this before. So he goes down, gets on the ship, and he heads towards Antarctica. The only problem for him was... Because of the fact that he had to sneak out, he wasn't able to plan the trip as well, and he wasn't able to get out there early as he wanted to. And there's a ship called the Terra Nova that's already left the United Kingdom, headed by a guy we're going to call Robert Falcon Scott. He was a naval officer of Britain, and Britain was figuring, hey, those last couple ships didn't make it. Britain can be the one that finally discovers the South Pole. And they, they get a good head start on a Munson and his crew but that's 1910 his crew does arrive there in uh 1911 so it's a couple months later at that point and they find that the crew of the terra nova and the british ship is already there they already have the campsite set up um at the edges of the continent on the ice shelves and they start to unload <clears throat> these ships in there there's massive ships to carry on all all this supplies the Terra Nova decided to, to carry a couple of different transportation tools. The key to transporting, transporting yourself in the Arctic is sled dogs. The best way to move, the dogs are perfect for that environment. They can move fast. They can move in the, in the winter. And so both of the ships bring a hefty amount of sled dogs. A Munson's ship, the Fram, 
brings only sled dogs, about 120 dogs. That's multiple sleds to run. The Terra Nova only brings about 40 dogs. They bring Siberian ponies and they bring a bunch of mechanical bunch dredges, of machines. That, that are, yeah, that are supposed to dig out the ice and make it easier for them. First of all, Break. one of the mechanical dredges they have out of three of them, when they're unloading it, it falls directly into the Arctic Ocean and just falls right in. Okay, nice. We <laughs> all of it. Immediately sinks down. Classic. So, yeah, and the other two weren't much better. They barely got anything done with them. The horses had a really hard time, even though they're from Siberia, which is far north in Russia, they had a hard time surviving there. It was just tough for them. They didn't get a lot of work done. So Munson was smart for bringing all the dogs because he figured, I, I've worked with these animals before and I know how to get them to work for me. And unfortunately, he was also thinking as part of the equation, like a lot of people did in extreme situations, hey, if we have to kill a couple of doggies and roast them up, we're going to mm. do it to survive. I was Last time I was down here in earnest, I was here for 13 goddamn months. And there's me and a couple of lonely guys in the dark and not a Madame Voyage between us. So, I mean, it was rough last time he was here. He was thinking he might have to go extreme with it. Luckily, we don't have to worry about that because he gets off on his voyage. They're going to the South Pole as fast as possible. The British people are there first. They think they're going to beat them to it. But that's our boy Amundsen, our Norwegian explorers. They make it to the pole first, passing the British. And as soon as they get there, they snap a photo. They put up a little tent with a Norwegian flag, and they leave a note for the British explorers for when they get there. Kind of give them a little, hey, we were here first, but we're glad you made it. Safe journeys, all that kind of thing. They put up a little tent and they call it Polheim. So in the uh, the Nordic countries, Heim is a word that means uh, land of. So like Jotunheim mm -hmm. and Helheim are like the land of giants and the, and the land of the dead. So they called it the land of the pole. And on their way back to, from the South Pole to their ship, it was a tough journey. Again, you're always going to go through all kinds of problems there. Not only have we talked about all the conditions, there's also these giant ice sheets that can get splintered in and there can be snow drifts that are so tall you don't realize how tall they are they're called crevasses and if you're not careful you can be stepping on a piece of snow you think is just as solid as the last you can drop 100 200 feet some of the biggest ones are about a thousand feet deep and you just tumble right in there not realizing it all the snow drift they can just have you tumbling down and many people over the years have lost their lives that way. Even in modern times, when we have research scientists, if they're not careful, they'll fall right in and that'll be the end of you. There's no way we're getting you out. Maybe we'll get your body at some point, but it's just, it's a no-go at that point. Luckily, most of him and his crew survived to get back, back to the ship. The same cannot be said for Randall Falcon Scott and his British exploration team. They did make it to the South Pole and there's a photo of them that they took with their camera crew of the five of them that were the explorers making to the South Pole, right next to Polheim, where the Norwegians made it already. And you got to look at this picture, Dylan. They're the five of the most miserable looking motherfuckers you've ever seen in your life. They look haggard. I mean, I haven't seen five guys look more miserable in my life. They just made a South Pole. They just look, ugh. We'll pull up the picture for the... Yeah, yeah, do, do one of these guys and we'll, we'll pull up that picture right here if we just do a... Yeah. Here's a photo. No, we'll pull it up when we do the editing. Oh, boy. Haggard. So, so anyways, that, that ends up being the, the story of um, a, a role the Munson. Unfortunately, like you said, those explorers, like many of the British ones, didn't survive and many people did die on Antarctica. Uh, Munson went on to, in the future, start traversing the globe with uh, flying boats or planes that were able to go on the water. He ends up making it to the North Pole. 
him and one of his crewmates also became the first people in the world to ever make it to the North and South Pole in their lifetime. And he did retire years after, but he was pulled back in. This when he think he was out, he got pulled back in because a, a fellow explorer was lost in the Northwest Passage. And he held it out with a team of explorers in order to go on a search and rescue. Unfortunately, his plane crashed and he was never found again. He went out doing what he loved, I suppose, traveling the most intense parts of the entire planet and making it back. But that's Roald Amundsen, the first man ever to make it to the South Pole. Crazy dude, a tough motherfucker. Tough motherfucker. They all were, even though I, even the guys who ended up being dead, <clears> because <throat> even to get there, especially in the year 1911. Oh, thanks. It's crazy town. And just for, for example, um, the uh, walk-in freezer at Target is negative 40. And that is something that freezes your snot within, I don't know, I'd say 45 seconds. You breathe through your nose Easy. only. For those Easy. of us who have worked at Target, which Joe and, Bo Joe and I both have, that yeah, walk-in walk freezer. Funny restaurants. Yeah, at restaurants, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yep, yep. Yeah, it's funny when I say Target because I fucking hated working there. But um, it uh, <laughs> it's so much. It's the worst. It is, but it was just like eight months of my life that I don't remember. <laughs> I used to work four hour shifts and they were some of the longest shifts of my life. Only four hours. I remember being in the I don't longest days. It was, and so it was only rough. half of the end of the shift. We're such, my inner bitch is like screaming because we're talking about the toughest motherfuckers on earth who ever did. We're, we're like, about, oh my God, I used to work for four hours at a time at Target and sometimes I have to go in the freezer. It was the worst. Yeah, I used to, used to uh, at the hospital kitchen, I was the one who had to do, take in the whole freezer order and stack it all the boxes up and like label yeah. them and put a winter coat in. And after 10 minutes, I'd be like, no, this is fucked. 10 minutes. And this guy had to last months and months out there. Yeah. And oh, most yeah. of the time, they weren't even trying to be warm. They were just trying to survive. You probably love the nights when you go in and light a kerosene lamp as much as you could and kind of huddle around it for an hour and a half. The best part of your day, the rest of your day, is that feeling when you've been out hiking in the snow for maybe a half an hour, an hour longer than you want to, and you can't feel any of your extremities. That's the first day. And then you have to do that for months yeah, after that. Yeah, and that's, that's in Massachusetts or New England. Yeah, that's like usually 30, deg 30 degrees, 15 tops if you want to go out there, you know, like maybe nothing. a coniferous so, <clears throat> me. Yeah. No, yeah, it's that. insane. So next up on our list is a is the biggest tough motherfucker, not biggest, the toughest motherfucker that I know of, of any story I've ever read about a human being who uh, commanded a ship built in Norway, but was an Irishman who led a British expedition two years after the Titanic sank on a wooden hold ship. Hell. Keep in mind, the Titanic was the biggest and most unsinkable ship of the day in 1912, two years before this, and it was made of steel and it was double-holed, and an iceberg sank that fucking thing. This is a guy who took a, uh, what class was it? I'll look it up later. Um, a wooden-holed ship with 27 men, one cat, and a bunch of fucking dogs to Antarctica to go be the first guy ever to... Uh, circumnavigate Antarctica. That was his jam. So, <clears throat> all right. So we'll we'll get into it. So, all right. So so we're talking about my boy. We didn't bring up his name yet, but again, this is a guy who is 
had a ship built just for this, built in Norway. It was an Irishman who led, a, who led several British expeditions to multiple crazy places. One of those places being one ship called the Endurance in 1914 to Antarctica. And specifically, they got fucked in the Weddell Sea, which is like the top sea little cove area that is like a thousand miles across. But since it's the Antarctica, it's huge, but it looks small on a map. The Weddell Sea. Yeah, I mean, it, it's massive. It's it's the part of Antarctica that comes around almost like a little scorpion's tail. Well, we'll pull up the yeah. map so we can see the parts of Antarctica. Yep, yep. little scorpions. Right, it'll be north of the the Rana Ice Shelf, and it'll be uh, pretty pretty far away from the Trans Antarctic Mountains, which is what you'd mm -hmm. have to go around to get to the actual yep. South Pole itself. But it, like you said, on the map it looks relatively small, but it's massive, and I, I imagine the winds must be awful. Also, the the fastest recorded uh, winds at sea level has been recorded at uh, in Antarctica because those whipping winds going across the tundra. So that is tough. Yeah, it's cold. It's cold, and we're not even on the tundra. We're not even on the land. This guy didn't even make it that far. This we're is <clears throat> we're in the sea. So this is what happened to him and his twenty-seven men, one crat, cat, and a bunch of bunch of dogs crew. Um, what happens mm -hmm. in the Weddell Sea is when it comes winter time, that fucking thing freezes over, and it becomes meters and meters and meters thick. Um, so he knew this going into this, and he said, "Hey, I'm going to name this ship the Endurance." Four, two years after the Titanic sank, because this thing's going to be tough as bricks, and it's going to be able Carry to on. exactly, and this thing's going to be able to crush through the ice. Because if, for those of you who don't know, icebreakers, even modern day ones, they don't they don't cut the ice like your your friend there, Joe. That guy thought they could bring dredgers mm -hmm. and shit to cut the ice. What they do is yeah. they uh, Scott Ronald Falcon Scott. Uh, unfortunately, it's not the way. Yeah, yeah. So what they do is, if you can see my hand here, ships that are meant to be icebreakers, they they keep moving and then they float on top of the ice and then the ice collapses and then they move forward and then it, they go up, it collapses. So they're not sharp, they're not dredging, they're not cutting, they're not doing whatever it is. So same idea with our boy, Sir Arnold Shackleton and the Endurance. Endurance he named because his family's motto was that they can outdo anyone in, as far if you just give it time. So. But the most important thing about that ship before we move into his fucking story is that he, um, the Endurance, uh, yes, it was sheathed in Greenheart wood. And Greenheart wood is, is something that I don't think any of us have probably ever come across in our life. Um, it's a specific type of wood that is so hard that you can't even pound a nail into it. And that's exactly what he needed to go yeah, through his right. journey. Wow. Yeah. He didn't just bring Christopher Columbus's thing to just go give it a go. He brought a hardcore ship that is meant exactly for an Antarctic expedition. So what happened to him and his crew? Um, they made it to exactly, Joe, what was that uh, land called that I mentioned? The bay? Are you talking, yeah, the, the Weddell Sea? Weddell Sea. So he made it to the Weddell Sea all the way to, to almost to land at the bottom there. And then after a while, the ice became too thick and they got stuck. So they were stuck for weeks at a time, um, for, for weeks, not weeks at a time. They're stuck for weeks. And then they realized very quickly that this is not reversible. It's winter time. It's going to take six, eight months before they're able to unfree that ship. It's so thick. And this is a sailboat, a wooden sailboat. 
um, they got to do something. There's no food. The, there's no state. There's no. There's no humans down there anywhere near there. No. So the craziest thing happened. The Weddell Sea is that that ice sheet that that has now made itself. You know, again, very, 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 very thick. Uh, I don't know how thick, but very thick. Um, it still moves. It still does this very slowly because it's the ocean. So they ended up uh, hundreds of miles north of where the ship got stuck because the ice moves. Ice flow. Yeah. yeah wow. And they thought there was a there was a journey before that that this happened. Um, <clears throat> and it eventually ejected them out into the ocean. The, they thought that might happen. It wasn't going to happen. So um, at this point, well, they're sev- being caught in the orbit and then being flung out into, into deep space. They're caught exactly. in the ice sheet and they're hoping to be flung out of it. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and you know, to be, to be honest, I think it was actually, it's more like under 1,000 miles um, uh, end-to-end, not 3,000 or 1,000, whatever I said. It's, it's definitely a couple hundred. Um, but anyways, that's they, um, that's miles, not feet. Oh yeah. Cause I'm thinking of his, his, his journey. I mean, it's, it's mm-hmm. yeah. A couple hundred miles. I mean, for, for example, I mean, Boston to, Massive. to, to, uh, Montreal is a couple hundred miles, you know, it's 200, I think. Right. So like yeah, you had a not... long fucking journey. So, so, so when a so they're running low on everything, all their supplies. Yeah. You name it, it's running low on them. You get 27 men, a bunch of dogs. I don't know what happened to the cat. They didn't talk to the cat. But um, so our friend here, um, Shackleton. Shackleton decided they're at a point where it's really not good. Everyone's going to die if he doesn't do something. <laughs> I love how they, when, you, when do you decide that? Like every day since you got stuck, you got to be thinking, is this the day we decide we're fucked? Because I would decide it not even after the first day. It'd be, an hour into being stuck, I go, well, we're fucked. What are we going to do? And these guys are like, hey, it's just part of the trip. And then you have to be the first guy to go, hey, Captain, I think uh, we might be pretty much royally fucked here. I don't know. If yeah, we're all going to die, bro. Exactly. It is- we're all thinking it. I'm the only one saying it, but we're, they're all thinking it. You know what I mean? Yep, exactly. They want to get home so they don't have to use Madame de Voyage anymore and whatever else is going on. <laughs> on top of not even that, at that point, maybe they're just thinking about not freezing to death and eating each other. Um, I'm sorry. I think that those those dog legs are looking pretty tasty right about now. <laughs> Where do you say that? So, um, so, so uh, uh, they had to start. I don't know. Yeah. So I'm not really sure exactly the timeline, but they started to eat the dogs, and those dogs were ever those dogs were the only thing that had that kept their morale where it was, and they were waiting out to get ejected, but they realized this wasn't gonna happen. Um, yeah. Those dogs were everything to them. They had that was it, but they had to start eating them. So it was really fucked up. So anyway, so this is what you don't want to do. It. It's not like they brought meat on board. They dogs, they're, they're dogs. You, you get along with them. You train with them. You grow a connection with them, and you're hoping they can take you across the the trek you need to do if you go into Antarctica. And they're now eating a form of transportation and their buddies on the trips. Not good. They're really bad, and they're your best friends. Like that. And they, the thing is, there's footage of this. There's a lot of footage of yeah, I mean, the endurance. So there is yeah. still, you know, we have photography. You can, you can yeah, they that. had a photographer there um, and a videographer there. So there's video of this happening. So so what happened yeah, so. was the, the, there came a point where the, the ice, once it starts, keeps growing, it actually collapsed the ship and sunk it just from being stuck. Oh, compressed wow. it in so yeah so they made the, the yet it was not a decision like with the, with the green everything fucking brutal everything gone 
so so this is what the, this is what our boy Sir Ernest Shackleton Sir Ernest Shackleton did. He um, they had several uh, smaller ships kind of in tow or on board the uh, the Endurance, um, and he decided to I think it was now I'm thinking about this right to basically get on it and it was more or less a large canoe. It was not a big fucking thing, and he went across the equivalent of the Bering Sea in a in a large canoe with like two other dudes to go to it to get to a point where there's a mountain range to then hike like a hundred miles over a mountain to an a whale oil uh station and he knew this was certain death this is the time in the winter where waves are a hundred feet tall 100 feet that is 10 story building waves and this guy's on a dinghy going across here in water that is 32 degrees and guess what he didn't fucking die. Neither did any. Neither did his other shipmates who were on that little dinghy with him. Oh my god! Then, then like- he got to land. He got to land. Hiked a hundred miles, including a mountain the size of larger than Mount Washington, and then and made it to a super mountain. super small town. And they were like, "You did what?" And he was like, "Yeah, I did this, and um, it was totally wild." And um, I've got. Uh, 23 to 24 guys who are over there that are going to die if we don't get there as soon as we can. So he got on another boat and four months later got back to the point where they were. Yeah, the other people made it to a small little island there and they stayed there for four months and then they oh. looked on the coast. They looked, I think actually, oh, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do some memory. Um, Ernest Shackleton, those, those guys made it to that island first and then he left from there on this crazy journey. Yeah, it was, so right, it was not far from there. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. far from there, but they all made it there. Fine. And then, then there's a picture of them all waving to him while him and the small crew are leaving for their 300-mile journey um, through the 100-foot freezing cold, you're going to die waves. You're fucked. Yeah, I mean, uh, that, if, if you spend five minutes in the Arctic Ocean, anywhere around there, uh, you're going to die hypothermia. It doesn't take longer than five minutes because of how cold the water is. I mean, how much cold it takes to freeze the ocean it's moving salt water mm-hmm. salt water is hard to freeze and moving water is hard to freeze the ocean is freezing in antarctica if you fall in you're done no one makes you're it done. up yeah i mean imagine the uh, the um the uh, the perfect storm i mean that's that's a hundred foot wave that sunk the that fishing boat you got to do it on a wooden dinghy um, and the, the thing is, these guys made it. Then they hiked a mountain once they got there in the snow and then made it to a whaling village. And the people were dumbfounded. And he went, so then four months after he set out for that, um, there's a picture of all the guys on the shore waving him off like, good luck, man, you're going to die, but we'll be here. Yeah. Um, I don't even know how what they ate for those months. But um, he came back, no one died, not even one person. Story's that over. The whale, that, that, that's, that's his story. So they didn't accomplish their goal, but they have the ultimate survival story in a place where you can't, there's probably, they probably even bring a gun with them because there's nothing to kill. They made it. They fucking made it. So um, that's my crazy story. I mean, talk about the toughest motherfucker on earth. Crazy story. And everyone who probably thought you were dead already, seeing a dead man come back to life when you return. You show back up and you're like, we we survived the negative 80 degree temperatures with no food and we ate all of our dogs. uh, Who knows what else they ate? Crazy, crazy stuff. So um, so that 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 gets us into uh, a little bit of a gap to 1947 to our friend 
Uh, I'll go into the more the more modern age of exploration because the the turn of the uh, 20th century was really still that time. Like we said, there's uncharted areas of the world. We still have wooden ships here. Uh, mm -hmm. A lot of them, if they have any mechanical engines and things like that, it's not enough to propel the actual thing for a lot of the time. And wooden ships mm -hmm. are mostly boring. Now we're getting into the 40s. We're getting into some actual hard technology that we're going to be able to accomplish bigger things with mostly and make things a little bit easier in the same way that you wouldn't want to take that small boat that he had to ride with those two guys all the way to the Antarctic. Nowadays, if you got on the wooden ship, like the USS Constitution, I wouldn't want to go much farther than Boston Harbor. It's, it's really cool, but I don't want to be going too far. So now we're yeah. getting into a more modern era, not like it would be nowadays, how sophisticated our technology is now, but the 40s, a little bit more ahead of ourselves there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So we're in 47. So we're past the jet age or we're in the jet age. Um, we're definitely in the jet age, yeah. yeah, we're in the jet age where the you know a lot of stuff's going on, and uh, this is uh, uh, you know um, Admiral Richard Byrd, and he's he's done he's a well-respected naval officer in the U.S. Navy who has multiple voyages to a lot of different places, um, independent and funded by the U.S. Navy. So um, this voyage comes after, which is a fact. This isn't just conspiracy. There were multiple during. World War II and before World War II, the Nazis did go to Antarctica to go see if this is a place where they could set up a base so they could launch missiles, they could have an outpost, they could they could circumnavigate the globe easier, um, have this giant continent they could kind of bring and have their own and have some crazy Aryan race situation bullshit fucking nightmare that's going on. So that's um, absolutely right. I mean, of the multiple countries that have, have put claims on Antarctica. Um, there, there's a ton of them in between, uh, France, the United Kingdom, and then after, you know, Norway put their stake on it, from 1939 to 1945, that's exactly what you're talking about, Nazi Germany did the same thing, they sent an exploration down there um, and staked their claim. Yep, fucking Hitler was all over this because one of his things for the Aryan race is that he was, he had word that there may be an ancient Aryan race in Antarctica, and he wanted to nourish that, facilitate it, harvest it, whatever the fuck you want to call it, um, on top of the fact of the, of the Nazi party who was looking into strictly odd and occult things, which is mm -hmm. insane now that they'd be making governmental decisions, looking for things like the actual Holy Grail and looking Mark for the things covenant. like yep. <clears throat> the ancient alien, civil, uh, Aryan races and civilizations from, I mean, they were really looking for this stuff. And it wasn't just you know, a couple of cults with a couple of money to spend. I mean, this is Nazi Germany at the height of its power in the late 30s. I mean, they are making major decisions to go on journeys like this. Just always blows my mind that you're making government policy based on looking for a quest, going on an exploration quest. Yeah, it's it's crazy. And it's it's why it's, it's tough to give that any sort of a curiosity or empowerment because it's just so bad in nature. Um, but it did, it did happen. And the thing is, it's, it's so fascinating, so interesting. And then you bring them into that and you go, oh, what the fuck? But, um, it's, it's another, but fact it of happened. The story. it's a fact of the story and, and, and particularly specifically categories of aliens. We, you have reptilians, you have grays, you have the Aryan race as well. There's an Aryan. It's not just like people with blonde hair and blue eyes. It's a seer. It's a, a, classification of aliens that are actually blonde haired blue eyed and they they believe that the nazis believe that they were inhabiting the inner earth of antarctica 
so Hitler had his fucking thing with that, and no one really knows. And just to add a little bit of conspiracy to this whole thing, just say that again. I was I was fucking you up by talking. No, it's okay. It's all right. I've had too many Christmas tree drinks. Um, I said that Hitler had his thing with Antarctica, and there's I think to this day still 14 missing U-boats, and that's how they got there because they believe that there there are under underwater entrances to the to the inner earth through Antarctica. And that's why they went there and they spent a lot of time there. Yes. That must've been even better than being a submarine. You're in a submarine under a mile of ice. I mean, you can't even blow the ballast and just shoot up. You'll be stuck under there. That's terrifying. Well, the interesting thing is those 14 submarines that were missing were, so like the type, yeah, there's a lot of different uh, type of types of U-boats. Uh, underwater boat is what U-boat means. It's like under Wasser boat or whatever German is. Um, yeah, they're they're most um the there's there's like there's like the type one, the type two, type three, type four. You know, the, I think the 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 I believe the wolf packs were were mostly like type four or whatever it was in the forties. But they had another one at the end of the war um, that could remain submerged the entire time through like snorkel technology. And those gotcha. are the ones that are missing. Um, so the most sophisticated U-boats are missing, not the shittier ones. Because U-boats, World War One had U-boats, had submarines too. People forget that. Um, 1914, yeah. 19, 1918, there were U-boats and submarines, and they were not really a whole lot different than they were in the 40s, really enough. But um, but uh, underwater caverns in Antarctica, they believe there was a inner Earth that had its own sun its own race, its own population, its own technology of aliens who go in and out of there. Oh, this is, uh, this is what, hey, look, I'm just, this isn't necessarily what I think. This is just what I was reacting according to the information. Not not anything you're, not anything but you. Well, and this all brings us, this all brings us to, okay, cool. Were the Nazis there? Yes. Are the Nazis still there? We don't think so. There's 4,000 scientists (laughs) a year. (laughs) (laughs) We don't think so. Not ruling it out, but none of the scientists that are there have seen anyone raise their right arm. Joe, Usually, do you have any proof that me. Antarctica is even real? <laughs> sure, I do. I saw the. No, 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 no. No, did did you take a picture yourself that it's there? Okay, all right. So. No, I know. A, I know a guy who knows a guy who did. You know, actually get a picture for someone who went there so yeah it's real yeah 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 me too just just so everyone knows i'm i'm not a there's a lot of things i am but i'm not a flat earther i am not somebody who denies most things antarctica is real Uh, i'm just saying uh, yeah yeah it is real because that's where the ice wall is that's right joe that's right so anyways so the nazis real the ice wall is there it's a hundred it's 300 feet tall it's around the whole world and that's what we call the ice wall, and that's Antarctica. That's what we've been talking about this whole time, right? Sounds like you know a lot more about flat Earth than I do, because I actually don't know a whole lot. <laughs> no. So, no. so it actually is kind of heartwarming to hear that the Nazis are as misguided and crazy as we always thought they were. But this time, instead of killing people, mm-hmm. they're trying to find a sun in the center of the planet Earth. And they're going to take U-boats, sophisticated U-boats there to waste everyone's time and money to go do that. Well... Happens to be weird that you bring that up because I already brought, I already hinted this, but Admiral Richard Byrd in 1947 happens to be the same guy that claims he made it to the center of the Earth and met those that dwell there. 
a journey to the center of the earth, perhaps. Great movie, by the way. Uh, totally insane as far as animal abuse, but it's a good movie. Um, yeah, you're a big fan of The Rock, so I pictured that you probably like would like it. He he believes what? <laughs> Sorry, I was yeah, reading a note. We're a big fan of The Rock, so I'm pretty sure you would like that movie. Journey to the Center of Your 3D. I don't know, you saw it. So Wait, I'm there's a new one? That. I watched the one from the 50s. What one's that? There's a yeah, new of one? Course. Of course. Uh, yeah, of course, by the one from the 50s. I'm just fucking with you. Yeah, oh. yeah. Well, it came out like a couple of years ago. Journey to the Center of the Earth 3D. And the Rock was in it, and it was just a remake with The Rock. I didn't even know that. I watched the one from the 50s recently, and I was surprised at how terrible they treated turtles. <laughs> It's like real turtles because it's the 50s. There's no CG turtle. I was like, oh yeah, shit, I can't even watch this fucking thing, man. Until like 1999 or something. Like you could still kill a horse on a movie set in like 1985. It was crazy. Yeah, it was insane. I was like, oh my God, this is horrible. I'm like, I can't even watch this movie. It's so fucked up. So, so this is this is a true story. This actually happened. And it was clearly based off of what the Americans knew about the Nazi invasion of Antarctica. And that's why this happened. So specifically, it was called Operation High Jump. And Operation High Jump was led by Admiral Richard Byrd in 1947 with 4,000 troops. One. Holy shit. <laughs> that's how many people have ever been residentially understanding Yes. Uh, and this is one expo fucking condition in 1947 wow. with one dude at the lead name, Sir Admiral, Bur sorry, Richard, uh, fucking Admiral Richard Byrd, one aircraft carrier, one submarine, 4,000 troops, one destroyer, and his fucking icebreaker ship at the lead. That's a Navy fleet with an icebreaker at the lead. That's, That's awesome. a Navy motherfucking fleet, man, that they went, to, they went to Antarctica to go set up a base or explore. This expedition was planned to last six months, and it lasted two months in 1947. It started in like December and it ended in like February, which is their summer. So it wasn't due to weather. It wasn't due to anything crazy. Um, and the thing is, when they decided to pull out uh, their official report said it was due to weather. Well, what happened is Admiral Byrd has a, a lost book um, that was found and published um, that he, his number one warning, even in his non-lost book, is that he came across craft that were able to travel from pole to pole instantaneously. So as from the North Pole to the South Pole, instantaneously, like this. Um, and they're a threat to society. Um, so he had an expedition that was supposed well, to last six months. It lasted two months. And he basically got spooked um, that he saw things that weren't real or that were real in Antarctica that he couldn't explain. And there's a lot more to the story, but that's my most favorite interesting story about this guy is that this is a six month expedition that lasted two months. An entire fleet went down there uh, there was like 12 deaths and they, they were the all on one to, to move that many people for an expedition like that. I mean, more expensive than any expedition we've talked about combined. Yeah. And the thing is he got, this wasn't a private mission. He wrote some bullshit story. This was funded by the United States Navy. Had to be. If it had that many yeah. ships involved, it wasn't some well, guy. Of course. Like, yeah. But it wasn't some guy who went down there and said, this happened, you know, this is fucking nuts. Um, this yeah. was funded by the Navy. Um, 
and this happened and they left after two months and there's a lot of unexplained details a lot of unexplained stories there's deaths that happened on a uh, uh mostly one of them the only documented deaths were due to a plane crash um all all around the same area that our friend um uh sir sir Look at look at it. <laughs> Just read it. I my notes. All right. Okay. Google okay. It. Sir Ernest Shackleton. Sorry, it's I I trying to do it from memory. No, Sir Ernest Shackleton. No, no, but, but, but no, 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 no. I know Admiral Bird. Shackleton. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, where was I at? I thought you were rounding out the. Last oh yeah, story. yeah. Sorry, sorry, sorry. The the area the same area that Sir Ernest Shackleton mm -hmm. was in. Um, is where this happened. So, so oh, right. Sir Admiral Byrd is a, uh, yeah, it's a crazy story. The whole, basically the whole United States Navy was down there. Uh, they left very quickly. There was, there was reports, um, filed reports of UFOs um, that kind of chased them out of there. Uh, more is details can be found very, what? Because, yeah, those are the, the strange phenomena that they were seeing that made them uncomfortable enough to want to leave, right? It's, it's things like that, UFO sightings and things like that. Yeah, UFO signs. They believe they were under attack. I mean, they were they were forced out of there, um, basically by craft that were way more advanced than they were in 1947, um, and um, and that that kind of leads us to a present day story too. So there's not there's there is there's 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 more details in his lost book that I didn't get access to at the moment, um, but it it has a lot to do with the Aryan race with the inner Earth. He is the same guy who did. Uh, say that he has been to the inner earth through Antarctica, where there is a separate sun, a separate city. It's like there's a the earth we know, and then there's one inside of it. This is he, no, no, but 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 he is he led the whole expedition by the navy. Yeah, I mean, but then some credibility, man. The in the earth and there was a well, you don't get as much credit when you are fucking cuckoo bananas when you get back. I want to talk to the other four thousand guys who are on the voyage and see what they. Saw. No, I know, but do you know you anyone that of the earth afterwards? Do you know oh, anyone that cuckoo bananas man like? I've never met someone. No, that I don't. Crazy. I'd like to know them because there's something to it. No, there is a lot. So, I, I so, so like some... a lot of I don't want to talk to the other soldiers that were involved because there's obviously a lot of eyeballs on that, and there's a lot of yeah. I'd like to. I'd like to get to it. Like you said, there's tons of people involved. There's got to be a ton of eyewitness events. Even though, like we said in the past, eyewitness testimony is great in court, terrible in science. It should be worth yep. mentioning for all those people mm -hmm. who must have seen that. I'd like to hear all. The stories before the guy who wrote a book about how he was in the center of the earth with the rock and it was 3d give a fuck yeah. about that liar True. Okay. yep no i hear you i hear in that so i have nothing more to say about admiral bird besides that he is he is a candidate worth oh, who, a candidate of inter, of interest but that leads us to a more present day story in the early oh. 2000s about a guy what okay so we're in the early 2000s now gotcha so now we're, now we're jumping from the forties. Yeah. So Admiral Admiral Bird. Yeah, Admiral Bird is unexplained. Um, no one really knows the, the the actual situation. He claimed that it was inclement weather, which is why he took a six month expedition of ships that can handle anything and took them out of there four months early. Uh, basically, any expedition we've talked about, you could say inclement weather could be the forecast for the entire journey. It's strange to turn a whole naval fleet back just yeah. for inclement weather. I mean, That's what I'm saying. Out. Yeah, he's obviously freaked. Something really spooked him. Um, for sure. So, so, um, so the only modern story that I was able to find really quickly um, was that of a, uh, a U.S. Um, 
Air Force uh, C-130 crew. He was not a pilot, um, but he was a guy who would, you know, there's multiple people on the C-130. If those don't know, C-130 is a four-engined uh, turboprop uh, large transport um, uh, aircraft for a lot of countries, but it's made by the, the, the you know, the United States companies. Forget who actually makes it. Throw that up. Everyone should know what that looks like if they don't already. We'll throw a picture of the C-130 up. Sure. Yeah, throw a C-130 up here. I've actually, my first time on an airplane was actually a, a C-130, I think it was the K model. Um, pretty cool. It was sound deadening. What? Was that a CAP you did that? I did, yeah. Yeah, it was a C-130. Um, first oh, no, time on an airplane. Was it Patrol when you were there? It was, I was in Silver Patrol, yeah. Yeah, that's what I was, yeah, that's what I was saying. I got you. Yeah, it was, it was the, I actually, weirdly enough, I think it was the Rhode Island National Guard is the one who has the C-130s, and it was one uh, of theirs. Yep, they just got the they just got the new propellers, which are used to be four. They they changed them to six, and they're more curved. Pretty cool. So so this is a dude. Um, again, Antarctica is a hard place to get to. You get to it by boat or airplane. If it gets by airplane, you have to be pretty hardcore and be in the military, and you have to basically get there in a C one thirty. So they can take off. Flights and commercial flights are the residential commercial flights are banned from flying over Antarctica or near it just because of all the safety risks, and there's just no way to help people out once you get down there. Like, yeah. You have to be an authorized military craft or a research team that has, you know, full support mm -hmm. of your country that you yep. came from. You're not allowed to go yep. there. Exactly. So mostly C-130. So this guy, um, Air Force personnel, um, he's been there for a while. He spent, this is where his, kind of his tour is. Um, and across the continent, they had, I think it's pretty cool. I would, I'd sign up in a heartbeat. Um, so, the uh, this 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 particular guy, he's got a um, th his crew got a got a rescue mission call um, for some for a medevac, which is when somebody needs has a medical emergency needs to get evacuated out of Antarctica to another country to go get taken care. Of. You're like a hundred miles away in a mountain with a broken leg. These people are on an, another continent in the heart. Yeah. Of that's going to be a tough ride if you, you exactly it took them it took them hours to get to this position on the way there this particular crew member who remained anonymous in the documentary i saw said that they they were told to divert 30 miles like west or east from their current location because there's a no-fly zone over the center of antarctica they didn't do it and they flew over there and they saw a giant gaping hole in the middle of antarctica and they said that's very odd this is a weird hole. Why is there a giant hole there? Um, but they flew over anyways. They picked up the um, patient who um, had a severe burn from a boiler explosion on the other side of Antarctica, a place where they'd be like, <laughs> "What a shitty way to go out!" I was burned to death in Antarctica. Oh, yeah, right. Shit. Yeah, right. There'll be a snowy day in hell when that happens. Yeah, well, I burned to death in Antarctica. It's too hot for yeah. me there. No, it's crazy. So this is this is one of two really quick stories. He burned to death in Antarctica. This guy did die. He um then they they flew back and the, the air traffic controller or whatever is in the area said, uh, we saw that you did this last time. You do that this time, it's gonna be a major problem. So you need to divert 30 miles. Um, and the patient died. And they said this is how serious it was. The patient died. He might not have died if they didn't take 30 miles, which is you know, that could be 30 minutes, if not more. Um, yeah, I mean, any, any amount of time that far away from a medical treatment, like every second counts, no matter what. I mean, we all know that, but especially yeah. on that remote area, you need every second you can get. And that, that's very strange that they would divert them and not give them a good reason, especially after they already 
ignored orders that they wouldn't give a reason after that. Yeah, and human life is like priority in that this is this is more a priority than this person's life to not fly over this hole. I mean, so so number two is for me. Number number two story of the early two thousands, like two thousand three, four, five ish. This guy, same thing. He said they flew to another base. Uh, it was an actual base, um, um, and they there were lands on the you know north west coast of Antarctica. Um, and they came across, there's like, let's say 30 to 60 tents set up there. It's, it's an outpost, but it's not a full blown outpost. He said they yeah. landed there and, and they had orders to take them back or whatever it is. And no one was there. It was a bunch of empty tents. Oh boy. That's, That's your story. Good. So a bunch of empty tents, no one's there. Not even one person, snowmobiles, everything was there. Um, mm-hmm. And they flew back the next day, whatever it was, and they got there and they were there. Um, and he picked them up on the C-130. Nobody spoke a word, but they all looked traumatized and clinically traumatized, traumatized in a clinical word is clinical shock. Um, so these people, I don't know if you've seen pictures of World War One soldiers before they kind of look like nice and like, this is like an 18 year old boy who looks like he's happy. And then they come back and their eyes are wide open and they're just like, cause they're used to just like mortars going off and artillery and gunfire, whatever it is. And they were all like that. And he got one in the C-130. He said, what happened? They said, they, they, they can't talk about it. Um, no one talked about it. Um, he flew them back to like an actual bigger base. They got another airplane, went to New Zealand, never heard from them ever again. And then their commanders told them, don't ever speak of this. Wow. So it's like they saw something down there that spooked them specifically, mm-hmm. and they're not able to talk about it ever again. So the whole point behind my, my couple of stories about Admiral Byrd specifically, not about Earl Shackleton, because he's just a badass. Admiral Byrd and the USAF C-130 guy in the early 2000s is that there's, there, could, there, are, there are actual accounts from qualified personnel that something else is going on down there that's really creepy and fucked up. Um, is it the Aryan race? I don't think so. Did the Nazis have bases there? They did, but they're, they're probably all dead. Um, but... Is this a portal for UFOs? What? I did ask them aside. They're working on it if it's not already true. Right, right. So we're we're not sure, but overall, Antarctica is a totally wild place because of the fact that it's so remote, it's so distant. All it does is want to kill humans. I mean, that is a place that wants to kill you. Um, yeah, it's like another planet here on Earth. You don't yeah, belong I mean, it's. There. Well, exactly. And a lot of these interviews were of people who were who went to the moon. Mm-hmm. The ones I watched um, on on the shows itself, I saw on History Channel, they were of like um, like Buzz Aldrin type of things, you know, where this is a guy who's been to space, and they were talking about yeah. Antarctica because in the ten in the eighteen hundreds, the tens, the twenties, the thirties, forties, fifties, Antarctica was the moon. I mean, it was as wild as the moon was yeah. back then. This is a next yeah. frontier. For, for human beings to go to absolutely um, yeah and yeah and exact it, it's a crazy crazy place because it's so i mean talk, really i mean the moon will kill you i mean you take off your helmet you're dead i mean but antarctica is like really the closest Unsurvived. thing besides like the marianas trench which is the deepest spot and and yeah you know it's, it's another one of those places and we we i i i do believe we'll probably all find out pretty soon what what's going on down there, but it's interesting. Yeah. It keeps you going. That's a good transition to what I was going to talk about as well, is that um, global warming is plaguing our 
planet and it's completely severely a problem and everyone needs to at least not if you don't have to go outside and throw your plastic straws away and you know fill up your gas at half tank but it's definitely a major factor in the world and all major scientists are totally behind the idea that's happening and it's caused by us and we're trying to stifle the effects of it and the amount of ice that's melting in the polar ice caps is raising the oceans measurably that being said, there's one good thing about it. And that is that we're gonna get to see more parts of Antarctica than ever before. There's already been miles and miles of ice sheets that have melted away. And we're seeing more and more of the actual land mass of the continent that a thousand, 2000 years ago was completely covered up by miles of ice sheets. So as global warming gets to be more and more severe of a problem, as the polar ice caps melt more and more and the ocean levels rise up more and more and destroy communities and cities and make people realize we have to make a lot of changes in our energy and how we run the world, we're going to get to see more and more parts of Antarctica. And I'll be very curious to see what the continent looks like under all that, because then we'll get to maybe find things like we were talking about earlier, like fossils. If they're there, we'll be able to see them now. Good luck finding them in a mile of thick of ice. You can't find anything in there. Three miles. Yeah, you get the landmass to be able to be able to dig down and see what's there. Is anything on the surface? If there's any kind of structures that were ever built by intelligent beings, whether it's you know, you know, ancient hominids or whether it's early humans or whatever, that will all be unveiled as the ice sheets fall away. And luckily now our technology is getting better, and our our uh, subterranean radar, like we were speaking about in the past episodes, they're getting more and more sophisticated. So the more that the ice sheets melt away the closer we are to the solid land we can start to actually develop a intricate map of how antarctica is actually laid out now i just because of the amount of time it took from antarctica to be part of a major continent into where it is now and the extremely harsh conditions that it's existed under even for the past 30 million years under being in complete ice and the coldest place on earth that we've ever recorded seems very difficult to get to seems unlikely but if there's anything there, we're going to only be able to figure it out once uh, we either have the technology to look beneath the ice even deeper, or as it melts away, we get a better look at it. We're trying to use a similar technology when it comes to the uh, moon of Europa on Jupiter, which is a very similar environment to Antarctica when it comes to these large sheets of ice. Now, not all that ice on Europa is liquid water like we have on Earth. It's very far away and so cold that it has sheets of ice made of other gases like methane that's just super difficult to freeze but we're going to have to run similar experiments on those planets so the more we can learn about how to map out places on our planet like you said like the moon or like places like pluto we have antarctica as like a training ground to how we can explore other places in our universe and get to know how to explore supremely extreme situations like it is there for example one of the shows that I was watching about it, there's a team that are trying to map out the volcanic activity because there are two mountains on uh, Antarctica. They're both named after two of the ships that were sent out there and one of the earliest journeys. They both, um, uh, unfortunately, never made it home and all people perished. Perish. But they decided to name the two mountains, the two tallest mountains in Antarctica after the two ships' names. And one of them was Mount Erebus, which is a volcanically active mountain. And there's people that are dropping hundreds of sensors, having to take helicopter flights hours and hours away from their sites to try to drop in these sensors in the ground. They're trying to map out the entire volcanic structure between 
the shaft of the volcano and all the uh, activity beneath the earth, try to map out more of what the continent looks like and hopefully use that data to predict what it looks like when different volcanoes are erupting around the world because volcanoes, luckily they don't erupt as often uh, as they could, that would make it a major issue. But every time they do, it's devastating. Like we talked about Mountain St. Helens, which is a minor eruption compared to the ones that have happened in human history. It would be good to learn more about volcanoes and learn more about the extreme environments to know how we could protect our environment and people's lives and their homes in the future, which I think is pretty interesting. Uh, going pretty interesting. Forward. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's crazy. I still keep exploring Antarctica. I mean, it's obviously one of the worst places to be on the planet and the harshest to live in, but I'm glad that we have those, you know, three to 4,000 people a year going down there and putting in the work and just the, the bravery and, and the, the gall and the endurance, like the endurance, endurance. So put in the work to actually get that done. Even though we have the, the um, luxury of modern science to have those, you know, below subterranean radars that we can see beneath the ice sheets and see for snowdrifts and crevasses. I mean, they have research teams driving out there on skiffs that are basically these big tracked and tank treaded tractors with a boom. So a big metal pole out about 20 feet ahead of them with a radar as they're driving to make sure they're not gonna fall into a 500 foot crevasse in the middle of the ice sheets. I mean, it's, it's wild what they still have to do even now with all the modern technology we have. We have drone footage to fly over, all kinds of satellite imagery. We have all the best meteorologists that they can find down there trying to keep these people alive. And that's what it takes to survive down there. And I'm just happy people are still looking because much like the other things we talk about, this is one of the mysteries of the world. It's one of the, the frontiers, like you said, Dylan, and there's a lot more to learn about. Well, and they're looking and they're seeing some stuff too. I mean, there is, uh, even on Google Earth, if you type in the coordinates, um, we'll, we'll share those coordinates right fucking here. There is something that sort of crash landed on Antarctica, and it's again yep. on the northern coast. And it's very clearly has tracks, and then it's this big thing. And it looks like, if for those of you who don't remember, a Moa Moa was an asteroid or a comet. I think it was an asteroid that passed over Earth um, a couple months ago. Um, that was like three miles long and, and very clear, and from another galaxy. And they said this is a this is an alien um, object. Doesn't mean it's aliens, but it means it's it's not from this galaxy, and it came through. Pretty crazy. Um, but it looks like that. It's not that. There's nothing in the solar system, I think, probably, right? Uh, you tell me. Whatever makes more sense to you. It makes more sense that it wouldn't be from our solar system because most of the meteorites that come into our atmosphere and a lot of the space debris we see, because our solar system is so large, comes from within our solar system. Like Halley's Comet, for example, mm. only comes around every so once in a while, but it's completely within our solar system. And even though it's traveling... Yeah, very, yeah, yeah, you're right. So comet, this is not... Yeah, you're totally right. So this would be not in our solar system. So it's um, within our, it's within our galaxy, but probably from you know maybe stars. Yeah, away. who knows? Yeah, probably far away. Like you said, it's it's around uh, five light years to, to the nearest star, and that that takes five years for the speed of light to get there. So even it, it being from that far away, that's a space rock that's that big from that far away. That that's going from a long way away. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. So it looks like that it's not it's definitely not that but it's that type of thing and it clearly is it's really weird it's a very weird thing so there's that there's also some other things if you google if you use google earth and find out coordinates of different things in antarctica that kind of are weird like pyramids um and 
definitely pyramids and this Moa thing. Uh, yeah, another giant gaping holes in the middle of Antarctica. Gapers. It's cool. Yeah, yeah, it's cool for sure. I would be really happy again. I know I'm always going into this being the, the, the sorry, I skeptic of the whole thing, but I really would be excited if they did start finding, you know, evidence of civilizations beneath there and these pyramids and things like that, even if it doesn't end up being extraterrestrials and it ends up being some kind of proto-civilization we didn't know about just because of what we were talking about, where it's just, there's so much unknown about it and needs to be discovered. I have the inkling I always have, which is the more boring one, which is we're probably going to find kinds of life forms mm -hmm. that we're not familiar with because they could be ancient species that we just weren't familiar with existing on different continents. I mean, if we never got to look at the fossils of South America, we wouldn't know about a million different species that existed and that went extinct. And there could be all kinds of thousands of species that existed on the continent of Antarctica for millions of years before it became this frozen wasteland that it is now, even though it's never been the easiest place to live on the planet as it broke away from the continents and drifted to the farthest away from the equator of any of the land masses we know about, life still finds a way. And there could be all kinds of species and fossils down there that we just weren't aware of. Just yeah, and my my, uh, my perspective, which is probably not uncommon, unheard of, if for those who know me, is that um, you have like uh, pyramids at Chichen Itza, Teotihuacan, Giza, things in Asia. I I think that people think that Antarctica broke off from the, let's say, continental continents, um, you know, again, billions of years ago or hundreds of millions of years ago at the earliest. I think it, yeah. I personally honestly think it was way sooner than that. Um, and the things that was the landmarks that are starting to show up in Antarctica look like they're man-made, um, which would make sense that this mm -hmm. broke off later than we thought it was, whether it was 4,000 or 12,000 years ago mainstream archaeologists are starting to sort of think that like the pyramids of Giza are older than they are. The pyramids yes. in, in South America are older than 2,000 years old. They might be 14,000 years old. And that Antarctica that might... Longer. What? That, I mean, that, that's something to shake a stick at. It, it going from 3,000 years or 2,000 years to 14,000 years is significantly longer to the point well, where most civilizations there's no evidence of them ever existing even uh longer than four thousand years ago that's why it's it's very well wild. they're starting to find that evidence and it's very hard to carbon date a rock mm. not, no but not like a rock dude a, a, a rock and that's what they are they're rocks you, it's very hard you can carbonate a rock but within tens of thousands of years is very hard to do because yeah, the rock doesn't really change unless there's sediment on it or something like that like or like like Something that can break down. Rock doesn't really break down as easy as like anything that's like very, very, yeah. very, very, very carbon-based like a tree. So Yeah, yeah, that'd be a lot easier. Just for me, it's easier to believe even the fact that they could be so severely off base about when civilization started by, what, 10,000 years, which is multiple times the amount of time we've ever thought it has happened. So it's not just 1,000 years off, it's 10,000 years off, which means it's almost three times the amount that we even think has existed. That's still easier for me to believe than that an entire continent drifted off faster and earlier than we ever thought before. I mean, I just, I'll, be, I'll be very curious to look forward to more evidence um, about you know, the age of ancient structures, I think would be you know, faster to find out than this, but 
I mean, the amount of time it would take for a continent to shift is just, it's just so immense. And it takes thousands of years for an island to pop up 10, 20 feet out of the water. It just, it, it would absolutely blow my mind if an entire continent, like you said, that's larger than the continent of the United States could shift within a couple thousand years. It would have to be the equivalent of some kind of, even a cataclysmic event on earth has never been big enough to shift the continent for enough time to push it to the South Pole. I mean, you would have, it would take an act of a deity to grab a piece of the earth and drag it down in anything under then, I would say easily a couple million years. I mean, it just would take so long for it to happen. But if, if more evidence comes out, I'd be willing to hear about it. It's definitely an interesting thought. Yeah, it's kind of where I'm at because I don't, I also, uh, as much evidence as you have to reinforce your theses on this is the same amount that mm -hmm. I have. And I don't, I don't know either. Yeah. But I mean, it's, it's that one of those but you've got, you've got, you've got a enormous continent that has historically had no human life on it, which is what has given value to every the reason that things have value is because humans were on them. They're able to claim them. Mm. Um, yeah, that, that because, value things that have to do with us for sure. Yeah. yeah, it's a very, it's a very human nature. Uh, it's a very human quality to yeah, very put human sense human qualities and human life into something that doesn't have any. You know, it's a very weird thing with humans. So anthropomorphizing is that's what it's called. Is it the word? Yeah, right? yeah. Okay, so yeah, you know, human ideas and human feelings and putting it in other things and saying well then as much as the same as me it's like it's a good empathy tool but it doesn't necessarily work for understanding how the world works in general it's more yeah like yeah exactly and it's one of those things where like if you're not here's the thing is like this is the type of podcast where like it would really 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 be beneficial to have somebody who has spent any time in antarctica before um to say yeah, I got no evidence of anything. I mean, you go to somebody, even outside of Area 51, um, people yeah. who live in that, the closest town there, don't necessarily believe in aliens. They go, yeah, we've seen a lot of F-117s flying over. <laughs> yeah, yeah, That's what yeah. we've seen. We've clearly seen stealth bombers, um, but we haven't seen really anything crazy besides that, you know? And you go, you talk to them and they know, but like, this situation, there's just, there's not enough of that. There's not enough of us. There's not enough of people who've actually been there to actually go out and say things. It sounds like people are getting pregnant there. So it sounds like things aren't that bad. Um, so <laughs> no more going, Madame Voyage. They yeah, the Madame, Madame Voyage ain't hanging out anymore. I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of stuff. So it's, it's a weird thing, but what happened in the forties with the Nazis is, is, is interesting and no one knows of, enough about it because i was a stubborn group of assholes who don't share information so um who knows i mean it's it's a really weird one the fact that there's a actual continent that has nobody on it and Crazy. and to, to and to do and to for for human beings in the 18 1700s to go from massachusetts to oregon on the oregon trail they'd all die and it was crazy that wasn't that fucking yeah. far this is the same distance plus 50% actually um, in modern days that people still can't do. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's the, it's the, the next frontier as far as that goes. Um, but there's also no, you can't just go, all right, we, we're going to leave here with seven days of food and a couple of guns and 2,700 rounds yeah. of ammo. We're going to shoot a bunch of bison on the way and eat them. Um, this yeah. is, there's nothing to eat. There's absolutely, you can't live on snow or ice. You can't. Uh, you can't. 
it's totally wild. Um, Absolutely. It's true. It's pretty crazy. So, so Joe and Joe and Dylan uh, basement podcast conclusion on Antarctica is it's another unknown in this world that nobody knows enough information about. And a lot of people have died at a lot of people have explored there's scientists in the military who are still there who have some stories that may bring us to the supernatural and some stories that may not bring us to the supernatural. We're not sure. Um, but we do know that it's a fun topic and we uh, will obviously give you guys updates as we go along. Like, for example, the fact that there were more monoliths found across the world. One of them in Colombia made of gold and specifically the welds were not shitty as fuck like the rest of them were rivets or welds this one was a clean the monoliths just keep well on coming. we we told you they're going to keep coming in the middle of our last podcast one popped up in california and like dylan's saying they keep popping up keep look popping at these up. Monoliths. if one if a monolith pops up in antarctica i'm going to shit my pants because we might be influencing the world events i'm not sure yep we're trying we're doing our best and if that's the case that is a serious story of somebody who has some mega fucking ambition and this is a hard place to put a monolith in but we'll see so if you guys want to put a monolith out there i would do it if i could but i don't have the resources for now do so. it as soon as you can get those monoliths out there people and keep exploring because if anything about these tales shows us there's some badass people who had to get this information out there for us and as little as we know about antarctica we know even less it wasn't for these people who were just willing to get out there and bust their hump and freeze their toes off i mean i'm glad they do because i'm not Give it the balls. That's all they're doing. We think it's so awesome. Wrap it up. This is wrap the up. Antarctica podcast. And uh, we'll be seeing you next week. We're going to have our first guest on. We haven't had a guest before. And uh, you're going to like the guy. We've known him for a long time. And like we've been talking about in most of these podcasts, we're nowhere near an expert on any of these topics. We bring our little personal knowledge into it and shoot back and forth. But this guy, uh, He's no expert on the topic, but he is an engineer and he knows a lot more about uh, the inner workings of a lot of different things than we do. So we're going to bring him in next week for our, our, our next week's podcast and get a little info out of him. And most importantly, he's a friend of the podcast. He's been supporting us since day one and uh, he's got a lot of value to bring to this situation. So we're going to have a different format and learn a little bit about the topic that we're bringing a actual expert in the industry, not to say the topic, to give us some more information about what the hell is going on here. So you guys should right look on. forward to that next week and uh, and uh, keep posted and we'll we'll bring that to your attention. But until then, we uh, obviously thank you guys for everything you've done and we're so excited to be here with you today. Because I'm trying to, I read a book or actually, nope, I saw a TikTok slash YouTube video that convinced me to do it. So I'm doing it. But this has been going on. This has been going on. This has been going on. It made me think of that. That's fucking so funny. Man, these poor bastards. When I'm busy thinking about how cold it is and how hungry I'd be, I forgot about the other basic. The other, the other human. Yeah, exactly. They were there. Can you imagine seeing a broom and you're like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. Okay. I'll be back once I uh, once I go up to the uh, <laughs> the bell tower and do my job. I'll be right back for that broom. Oh yeah. They got a sign up sheet next to the uh, janitor's closet. <laughs> it's mine. That's what I had broom hilt on. I had exactly broom hilt.
carry on 